Good to read today from Matthew chapter 25, and the words are on the screen. Let's hear the word of God. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, said Jesus, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. Amen. And thanks be to God. As we remember those years of 1939 to 1945, in particular, one image perhaps stands out, and it is the image of Auschwitz. The name of that concentration camp even today sends a shiver down the spine. It is an image of inhumanity where lots of people, Jews, gypsies, Poles, people regarded as less than human, were forced into slave labor. They were stripped of their lives and their names, and they were given a number. They were treated like animals, exploited for their clothes, and their hair, and their shoes. Beyond all the horrors of war that we might remember today, perhaps Auschwitz stands out as going beyond everything else. But why? Because it points to what happens when we forget that people are people. When their humanity is taken from them. Whatever hell looks like, it looks something like this, where humanity and humanness are sucked right out of people and they are treated like animals. 
where human individuals are confused with items, things. But you know, war itself does that. The concentration camp is perhaps an extreme example, but in war, we easily forget that what happens is men and women and children become the enemy, the Hun. Our fellow human beings become them. Let me tell you the story of a World War II veteran. This is Walter. And he tells his story of his war experience. His dad fought in the First World War. In fact, he lost an eye. Perhaps that's why when war broke out, Walter was 14. He didn't like the idea of war at all. He was sent at 14 to help the war effort. He worked on a farm with pigs and chickens. But his father later moved the whole, con the whole family into the countryside just to get away from the bombs. Walter became an apprentice on the railway, selling tickets and then in 1943, he was called up. He didn't want to go into the army, but he had to go. Eight months he trained to be a radio operator. He was sent to the front, to the battle. He was shot at. He recalls, as he tells his story, men dying around him. His sergeant shot while he stood beside him. One story haunts Walter, though. They were under fire. There was an enemy sniper up in a church tower, and Walter used his radio and called up an artillery strike, and he never forgot afterwards that he caused the death of enemy soldiers in doing that. He was captured in 1944, marched through enemy territory, hungry and homesick, with more men dying on the march. As we hear Walter's story, a veteran's story, do we have sympathy with him? Do we? Do we? What if I tell you his name? Walter Vorda. He was in the German army. Does that change things? As he moves at that point, that I say that from being one of us to being one of them, one of the enemy. I wonder if we were watching a war film and we saw Walter being shot at, we would say, good. That's what it should be. You see what I'm saying? That the experience of war takes away something of the humanness, something of the empathy as we begin to see people as the folk that are expendable. That brings us to the Bible. You see, right at the beginning of the Bible, it says this, doesn't it? God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. People, says the Bible, are made. Not by chance, but by loving divine design. And that's what gives them their dignity and their worth. God made them male and female. And there's more than that as God creates. Because as God creates a world full of good things, of animals and birds, he adds something else. All these other things are good, says God, but human beings are double plus good because they are made in my image. They are different from things and animals and the rest of creation. 
You know, today I would want to say, God bless animal activists. We certainly need to look out for the rights of animals. But let us never forget, people are people. And there is a difference. And they do matter more than bunnies. And that's what's wrong with Auschwitz. People get confused with things. We are treating people like animals, raw material to be exploited and experimented on, and it's monstrous. It's hellish. More than things, more than people, more than good, people are people. And the Bible paints it this way by saying they are created in the image of God. Sometimes we struggle to think what that means. Well, do you know who this is? This is Tutankhamun. It's interesting because that name, Tutankhamun, literally means the image of the god Amun. The idea is that if you wanted to know what the god Amun looked like, you could look at his toot, the good old Tutankhamun. Now, Genesis is quite clear. We are not gods, and we are not going to become gods. Nevertheless, what it is saying is if you want to know what the living God looks like, look at humanity. Look at humanity. For something of the image of the living God is there. Something of God in our relationships of His love. Something of His creativeness, His inventiveness. Something of God that we can see in the eyes of each human being, each man and each woman. We are creative. A bird can make a nest to live in. A spider can make a web to catch its food. And they make them for a purpose. But only men and women make things not just for purposes, but they make inventions and buildings and medicines and vaccines And some of it they do just for the joy of it. Music, art, literature. Because God created and said it is good and he made us in his image and so we make and create and it is good. God created human beings in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And that's the design, men and women made in the image of God, relating to each other, coming together, and yes, giving life as well. And that brings us to something else. In the last few years, that Me Too movement, that awareness that it's not always like that, seeing the human being in each other, For in the place of a love of a man and a woman, sometimes comes the abuse of a man by a woman or a woman by a man. And in the place of the image of God that's shared and appreciated, powerful people use wealth and strength to treat other people as if they were things to be exploited. She becomes an object something to be discarded, something to be mocked and humiliated. Her pain, her suffering, her views are not part of the equation. The image of God within her is being ignored because her looks are all that matters. Of course, the phenomenon is very old, isn't it? Two men 
watching. And a woman walks by. And the other boy says to the first one, will you look at that? That. That. What about her person, her name? What about the person that's made in the image of God? Now, it's easy to look at young folk who do those sort of things, and trust me, they do. But what about the whole of the rest of the world? What was the Miss World competition all about? Was it really that people sat there admiring the wonderful personalities who wanted to bring peace and justice to the world? Really? Or was it that she again had become a that, a body, a gratification that was replacing a relationship and the image of God cast aside? It's interesting that we've just found ground on which radical feminists and Christians can come together. Even ministers can be feminists. I, um, I always tell the story. I think it was Rebecca, age three, four, went to the doctor's surgery and came home. And I was so proud when she said to me, Daddy, can boys be doctors too? It's also why Jesus said this. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. If your right hand causes you to stumble, gorge it out, throw it away. It's better to lose one body part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It's amazing there that Jesus goes from lust to hell in three moves. Why? In fact, it's more than that, because in this section of Matthew's Gospel in 5, he also does something else that's amazing. He says, if anyone calls their brother a fool, they'll go to hell too. What does this mean? What is hell in this chapter? Well, hell, basically, is a place where God isn't. Hell is the place where the love and purpose of God are totally absent. Hell is where the image of God is destroyed from the human soul and all the dignity sucked out. That's why this matters. I'm not going to get into the politics of Republicans and Democrats today. Don't worry about that. I've got friends in America who are Republicans as well as Democrats. But what matters in some of this is actually the name-calling, the disparaging, the talking of people as if they were something else, the woman, the Mexican, the black. And it matters not just because we say, well, it should be the policies, it's not the civility that matters. It's not because we're prissy Christians who think it's politeness that matters in politics or anything like that. It's actually because of this. When you start to talk about people with that othering, then you are ignoring in them the image of God the dignity that that brings. And when you start to speak like that, you will start to act like that. It will matter. What does all this mean? Hell is a place where God isn't. And when I make the brother an object of my anger and the sister an object of my lust, when I treat him as a foolish thing or her as a pretty thing, then I bring hell 
a little bit closer. If I treat my neighbor as the butt of my joke, if I dismiss him as a Jew or an immigrant, then I bring hell a little bit closer because I forget that people are people made in the image of God. War is hell. Now, you might think I'm quoting some CND type, some pacifist or something like that. No, I'm quoting a general of the army, William T. Sherman. If you know any American history, he's the one that marched through Georgia. He said to his soldiers this, there's many a boy here today who looks on war as all glory, but boys, it is all hell. And I don't know any soldier that would disagree with that. Why? Because in war, people stop being people. They stop being in the image of God. They become the other. Because once you've othered them, it's so much easier to kill them. War is wrong. And by that, I don't mean morally wrong. I'm not making a case for pacifism. It's actually just fundamentally wrong. People were not designed to do that. They were not designed to be treated like that. They were not designed to treat others like that. That's why soldiers suffer from the trauma of it afterwards, because everybody, perpetrator and victim, have lost their humanity somewhere in the middle of it. Oh, we can think of the war criminals, and we can call them monsters, inhumane. But actually, both victim and perpetrator are made in the image of God. It's why torture is so dangerous, not because the victim suffers, but because society that contemplates it loses something of its humanity. It forgets that people are people made in the image of God, because when we hate a bit more, we are a bit less human. When we lust a bit more, we are a bit less human. When we treat someone less humanely, we are less human. When God made us, he made us equal in worth, equal in dignity, each one created in the image of God. But what God made, we divided. We created a them and us, a culture, a race, a gender, a label that would dismiss the other. And it all starts when we stop seeing people as people made in the image of God. So how do we start seeing the image of God in other people? <laughs> Paul speaks of Jesus. He says something quite remarkable. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. The image that we glimpse in each human being is glimpsed fully as we look at Jesus. And what happens when people saw the image of God in Jesus? Worthless people became valuable. Prostitutes, tax collectors, thieves, Samaritans, all seen by Jesus as people. And that's the job that the church has today, restoring personhood to people. The work of our mission, the work of befriending, the work of feeding, the work with those that society forgets. That's what Jesus was on about when he talked about the sheep and the goats. Those that followed him would recognize the image of God in other people, for he is the image of God. And here's the test. 
in a world where prisoners and paupers and sick and destitute are thought of as far from God, Jesus said, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. Do we recognize the image of God in them? Do we begin to restore that dignity? Because when we do, we do as Jesus did. We go into hell and we rescue them in his name. Colonel Gonin recorded the days where he and his men entered Bergen-Berlsen in 1945. There they saw emaciated people that were dying, wandering aimlessly about, and they needed supplies, and the Red Cross sent a crate, and they opened the crate to see what they had for them, and it was full of lipstick. Now, you might think that's a disaster, yet the colonel described it as an act of genius. Because as those women prisoners put on the lipstick, their humanity returned. Their dignity was restored. Their individuality mattered again. That most important message, you are a person, valuable, loved in the image of God. And that's what happened when the early church started to proclaim, wasn't it? Jews, Samaritan, rich, poor, learning to see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ where there was no male or female, Jew or slave or Greek or Jew, for all were one, each valuing and loving the other. Jesus knew a world that had rebelled against the Father. And he came. And when we were still far off, says Paul, he died for his enemies, us. Because even there he loved them. To restore the image of God in us. That we might know ourselves valued and loved and saved. That God's enemies might become his friends again. Living as we were always meant to live. It's why on war memorials we name folk because we remember that each one was an individual and all that war took from them we give back as we remember. Perhaps in a society where we don't know our neighbors where there's racial misunderstanding and tension, we can do better than this. A child's picture hangs on our wall. Probably all of you that are parents have got several of them. Actually, we've got two that were on our wall that our girls are embarrassed by because they made them 10 years ago. You know the type? But they're important. A toddler brings a picture back from nursery and says, that's for you, Daddy. And you love it, don't you? Why? Because of the person that made it. As we look at other people, we begin to value them because we know the person who made them. That is the heart of the gospel. A little bit of his image 
we see in them. And that's why the true disciples of Jesus are the ones who love the unlovely because we were made in the image of God. We are unique, priceless. Christ died for us. And each person we encounter is priceless too because people are people made in the image of God. Amen.